I began to just meditate on that. And, and the Lord took me back to some experiences in my life. And he took me back to this scripture that was really pivotal uh, one time in my life out of Hebrews chapter 10, uh, verse 35 and 39. And I just want to share with you a little this morning about the need for endurance. Say, I need some endurance. Amen. If you think following Christ, number one, is not exciting, it's the greatest adventure that you will ever undertake in your life, but it'll also require that you develop a spiritual capacity that, that, is, that is built around your spiritual endurance. Turn to Hebrews 10, starting in verse 35, and stand for the reading of the word. Father, we thank you and we praise you, and we give you glory, God, and we ask you, Lord, to just minister this word to us. Brother Tony, you sent him. He dropped it into our spirit. Let it just begin to bear fruit this whole year. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Therefore do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. For yet a little while, and he who is coming will come and will not tarry. And now the just shall live by faith, but if anyone turns back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not those who draw back to perdition, but of those who believe to the very saving of the soul. May God add his blessing to the reading of the word. You may be seated. Don't cast away your confidence. What, what causes people to lose their faith? What causes people to lose their faith? I think there are two things that I, I think are the most common. Number one is they begin to make an agreement with the lies of the devil. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1 through 3, Paul says, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly, this is in the King James Version. Paul, now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith giving heed to deceiving spirits, seducing spirits, and doctrines of demons, speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry, and commanding us to abstain from meats which God hath created and received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. He says in the latter times, some that are some will depart from the faith. To depart from the faith, you've got to be in the faith. This is not sinners he's talking about. He's talking about Christians. And he says that they are, they will quit because they begin to heed the doctrines of deceiving demons. And I really believe that this particular group of people he's talking about prophetically that he's seeing in the, with a the prophetic eye, I think this group of people are the undiscipled. They're Christians in name only. They go to a great church with great fancy music and a big thing, and they serve great donuts and coffee, and their chairs are comfortable, and they make them feel comfortable, and they don't much tell them the truth. They basically tell them, God loves you. Yes, he does. I know God loves me. This I know, so the Bible tells me so. That's kind of where they stay, and here's why I like to teach. I like to teach you that God loves you, but the devil hates you. And the devil is going to come clean your clock if you don't learn how to fight the good fight of faith in Jesus' name. Amen? If you don't learn how to make war, if you don't learn that, you, that, that, that God sent you here for a mission, and if you don't pursue that mission with, with the zeal of a Navy SEAL, if you don't have that kind of commitment to your mission in life, the enemy is going to knock you off the trail, and you're going to end up in this, this, this scripture right here of, of, of heeding the seducing spirits and doctrines of demons and leaving the faith. 
because we just, we just, we just, you know, it's just, well, you poor baby, I don't, I don't want you to have to go through nothing bad. The truth of the matter is, this world is, your life is surrounded in tragedy. <laughs> Anybody lost a loved one? Anybody had gone through the pain of a, of a divorce? Anybody had children that just quit the church and took off after and started church? This life is going to have a lot of disappointment in it, and it's going to have a lot of tragedy that you can overcome if you are walking side by side with your Lord Jesus Christ, but he ain't going to keep you from the pain. He's going to teach you how to face it, how to overcome it, how to get beyond it. These Christians were weak, and I think it's pretty interesting, too, in this passage that they begin to attack the institution of marriage. And they also are vegetarians. I'm just saying. <laughs> Hallelujah. You think about that. You turn the news on and you watch these so-called Christians that, that believe people can live together is okay. There's nothing wrong with homosexuality. You watch them. Watch their diet. Hallelujah. I'm just saying as a, as a former beef producer, if they eat beef, they're okay. Hallelujah. But <clears throat> notice he didn't, he didn't say, he, he'd say basically that they, they, they fall into this deal where they begin to believe the lies of the devil because their faith is weak and because their, their spiritual condition, they become too worldly. And another important cause of people falling away from the faith and casting away their confidence is number one, the number one cause actually is unanswered prayer. And this is, gets us to what Brother Tony has told us. James chapter 4 verse 3 says this. It says, you have not because you ask not. And then it says that when you ask, you ask amiss. And here's what Tony said. I don't know if you caught this, but he said, you're not praying your prayers properly. A problem comes into your life and you begin to pray for God to remove the problem. The problem could have a purpose. The problem could very well have a purpose. He even goes on to say that if you're in Christ, if you're a believer, a disciple, a follower, a student, an apprentice to the master, if you've committed your life like Brooke did just now, if you've got that kind of commitment in your life where you're living for him, then every problem has a purpose. Wow, what a revelation. Think about that for a minute. I think the first thing that you need to do with your problem is, is you've got to discern, is your problem circumstantial or is your problem providential? Providential means from God, sent from heaven, heaven sent. So how would the Lord, why would the Lord send me a problem? Well, Jonah chapter 1, verse 4 gives you a good idea. Jonah was completely disobedient to God. God wanted him to go to Nineveh in Assyria and minister the goodness of God to them after they slaughtered his people. If you understand something about history, you understand about Jonah's resistance to going to Nineveh. The Assyrians were a bloodthirsty people. They were the Klingons of that age and time. They, they were warriors and they, they did horrible things to their victims. In fact, they captured the ten tribes of Israel and you never heard another thing from them. They could totally wipe them off the face of the earth and assimilated them completely into their culture. The only tribe you hear anything about is the tribe of Judah. And so God wanted him to go, Jonah to go to Nineveh and minister God's grace and forgiveness to them. And, and Jonah said, I ain't going there. And he got on a ship and he headed for Spain. And it says, the Lord sent a tempest, verse 4. 
Jonah 1 verse 4. But the Lord sent out a great wind on the sea. The Lord sent it. And there was a mighty tempest in the sea so that the ship was about to be broken up. So here's what you have to discern is that are you the sailor or are you Jonah? In other words, for the Jonah, the problem was providential. For Jonah, the problem was sent to him to change his course, to get him to get back and, and get focused on what God had called him to do, to correct something in him, to teach him that if he didn't like spending three days in the belly of the fish, he might as well get busy doing what God called him to do. But for the sailors on the ship, the storm was totally circumstantial. They didn't do nothing. They weren't involved in this. I tell people all the time, don't marry an unbeliever and don't go into business with an unbeliever because you're liable to get into a tempest. You know, the, the, the Lord can send a tempest that has nothing to do with you, but it's the person that you're yoked to. Come on, somebody. This is why you need to be like-minded. Can any walk together unless they be like-minded? You have to be in business. You have to be involved with like-minded people. And so if, if, if you're Jonah, then you have to repent for the storm to, but if you're the sailors, you, don't, you, you just got to endure it. Whenever they threw him off the boat, the, the, the calm came to the sea. So there's a testing that comes with a promise. Everybody wants a prophetic word. Everybody wants to have a big ministry. Everybody wants to be used profoundly by God. Everybody wants a vision, but not many people want to go through the testing that comes when you get that. Hallelujah. Can I get a witness out of somebody? Joseph had a vision. He called his brothers together. Hey, I had a cool vision. You going to bow down and worship me? That didn't go very good. I don't think that was the way to do that. Amen. They threw him in the pit. Sold him into slavery. He went through years and years and years of tribulation. And it says in Psalm 105, verse 17 through 19, he sent a man before them to Egypt, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. They hurt his feet with fetters. He was laid in irons until the time that the word came to pass, the word of the Lord tested him. You got a great word. You're going to live in a contradiction. We've taught on that before. You get a great word. God's want you, He's calling you to start a new business. He's calling you to buy a farm. He's calling you to do something extraordinary. You're excited about it. He's in it with you. What happens? What happens right after that? The contradiction. Your circumstance becomes opposite of what? Now, so the problem, if the problem comes with the promise attached to it, then what is the world do you have to go through that for? Well, let me look at Joseph's life. When Joseph went to his brothers and said, I had a great dream, you're going to serve me. And they threw him in the pit. And after all those years of persecution and being in prison and all the things that he went through, when Pharaoh finally called him into the court, Pharaoh asked him, he said, I understand that you can interpret dreams. And he said, I can't do nothing. God can interpret the dreams. Look at the difference. Joseph needed humility. He needed to learn to never depend on his own flesh, never depend on his own ability. He needed a problem. He needed a circumstance that God could hone him and get him to the place where he had enough character to steward the promise. Everybody wants the promise, but not everybody wants to work on their stewardship. Come on, somebody. Not everybody wants to get their heart right with God to where whatever it is he sends them, they can handle Receiving the promise then is going to require endurance. Hebrews 10, 36. For we have need of endurance so that you have, have done, after you have done the will of God, 
you may receive the promise. There's a chance. There was in my life, I shared this with our Wednesday night group. I was so discouraged in the Heal Land Vision at one time that, I mean, I've been discouraged before, but I got so discouraged at one time, I just, it got so dry. 2011 is a year I'll never forget. It looked like on, on Scarborough Ranch, it, they had had fires in it on places, and it looked like a moonscape, and, and it was just, you know, sand blowing, and I just thought, my God, this country is in worse shape than it was when I first started talking about this vision, and I was so discouraged. I was so like, you know, God, I think I've wasted my life. I think I've wasted my life. I was successful. I was in business. I had a lot of things. You know, if I hadn't gone kooky over this vision, I could still be doing some of that probably. And I said, I'm just so discouraged. I need, I need encouragement. And I, don't, I did the only thing I know to do in that for me is everybody's different. For me is I got to go into nature. I have to get away from man-made things. I have to get deep into the heart of nature. And so I went to the Wild Rivers camping area in New Mexico on, by the Rio Grande Gorge. And it's a place that I've loved and I've gone. I've fished there and I've spent time there. I've taken your kids there on youth trips. And I got up there and I just hung off the, sat down and hung off. I let my feet dangle off the edge of that rock. And I said, God, I'm here. Now I need to hear from you. Because I'm really, really discouraged and I have no endurance. And I had never, I hadn't, I hadn't, I hadn't read this particular passage and as I'm sitting there, I see a, an eagle begin to just soar on the air currents coming off the river. He who waits on the Lord shall be renewed in his strength. He shall run and not grow weary and walk and not grow faint. He'll be lifted up on wings as eagles. It could have been a turkey buzzard, but an eagle makes a better story. So, but I watched how he used the current. He didn't flap his, have you ever watched that? They don't flap their wings and get all worked up. They just change the pitch of their wings and they use the updraft current and they use it to soar wherever they need. And they can do it for hours because there's so much coming off of that river, coming up that current updraft out of that gorge. And they can hunt and they can. And the Lord said, Man, you're wearing yourself out, flopping your wings. You need to just rely on my Holy Spirit. And then I heard the word Hebrews 10. That's all I heard. I just heard Hebrews 10. And I didn't have Hebrews 10 memorized. And I just got up and went to the truck as fast as I could. And when I got to the truck, I had a dot Bible on my dashboard. Carol said, what are you doing? I said, i got to find this word. This, this. And I turned to Hebrews 10. And this is what, what I read. You have need of endurance. Lest after you have done the will of God, you don't see the promise. I was in jeopardy of not seeing the fulfillment of the vision after I had done everything God said to do. Come on, somebody. Right when it's about, you're about to get a breakthrough, that's when the devil wants to discourage you the most. Am I right about that? That's when he wants you to give up. So, I just had to get back to my purpose. What's my purpose? And I can't live contrary to my purpose. And you can't live contrary to your purpose either. It says in Psalms, verse uh, 139, chapter 139, 14 and 16, I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you. And when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth, your eyes saw my substance even though it was unformed. And in your book they are all written. What's written there? The days that you fashioned for me when I was yet, there was yet none of them. 
I can't live contrary to my calling and my purpose in my life, and you can't either. And some of you have been, and that's the reason you're depressed. And that's the reason that you feel insecure. And that's the reason you struggle with anxiety, is you don't know what God put you here to do. And you're living contrary to what God called you to do. And I realized in that moment, forget it. If I don't see it, and I have many prophetic words from prophets who have said, I don't know who you are, but God's given you a great vision, and you think you're too old, but he says, God says to tell you, Joe Rowe was one of them in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. He said, he says to tell you, you'll see it in your lifetime. So I'm hanging on to that. But even if it doesn't, and it's going to, but even if it doesn't manifest the vision, if it, and I see signs of it manifesting all around us, but even if it doesn't completely manifest, I will have lived my life according to the purpose that God had for me the, when I was formed in my mother's womb. How about that? In life, contrary to that, no matter how much they pay you, and I had some job offers that were like, if it hadn't been for my wife, I'd have made another mistake. I had some job offers. They offered to pay me a lot of money, and I wanted to take them because I was broke. But thank God I didn't. Here's the point I'm trying to make is I never expected, I don't expect any longer not to have any problems because the problem comes with the promise attached to it. And everything that I've had to go through since I pursued this vision and all the discouragement and all the being called a kook, all of the things, the persecution and all of that. Well, let me tell you something. I had to go through it for God to do something in me to get me to where whenever the vision manifests, I won't take any glory for it. I had to be humbled. I had to be tuned. I had to be worked on. God said, man, I have a great plan for you but if I give it to you now it'll kill you have you ever seen a kid who's had everything in his life given to him you go out and give him a new Corvette because you love the poor baby you love him he turns 16 gets his driver's license you give him a brand new Corvette that's just stupid he can't handle it Give him an old beat-up Ford pickup with a step side on it that won't run half the time. He'll become a good mechanic. He'll learn to put oil in his truck. He'll learn how to take care of stuff, or he'll learn to walk, one of the four. He may learn to do all four. But before you give him a really, really good car, he's going to learn a lot about taking care of a car. Come on, somebody. God's not Santa Claus. He's not Santa Claus. He's the king and the judge of the universe and he's got a plan and he's doing it and it's intricate and you're a part of it but he can't use you if you run off over here and you're headed on a ship to Spain when he told you to go to Nineveh. Come on somebody. A lot of times the problems that manifest in our life are because of our disobedience. I have 12 rules of life. Rule number four is this. Commitment trumps ability. I've talked about this before. Isaiah 50 verse 7 says, For the Lord will help me, therefore I will not be disgraced, therefore I will set my face like flint, and I know that I will not be ashamed. It's not about your ability, it's about your commitment, and I have seen more Christians. I see so many Christians, and I, I, I'm not saying if my circumstance was different, I might have been just like them, but they got no staying power. If God quits furnishing, you know, if, it's, if life gets difficult, they want to quit. Come on, somebody. The difficulty is part of the program. The difficulties are part of the program. I know this is good news. This is the good news of the gospel. 
Amen. Hallelujah. To accomplish whatever God has written in the book, that's your book, you're going to have to learn to a lot. You're going to have to get to the place where you face enough problems where you learn to rely on God-aided effort. You've got to do some things. You have to do what God calls you to do. He's going to work with you. But if you get where you become dependent on his grace, grace being more than forgiveness, grace is the power that's, uh, that, that, that is available to us to do innocent force what we can't do on our own. It says in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, it says, Let us boldly go to the throne of grace that we might obtain mercy and find help. Say, I need some help. Find help for a time of need. What kind of need? Any kind of need. When you learn to put God in it with you, when you learn to, to rely on God-aided effort, you work hard and he works with you. Come on, somebody. That's when you've gotten to that place to where, to where your God now can begin to trust you. He can give you some things. He can begin to pour some things into your life. The other thing you're going to have to prove is that you live by faith. The just shall live by faith. God doesn't bless a quitter. He strengthens one. He strengthens it with somebody being tested, but he doesn't bless quitters. I, and I tried to find another way to say that. That was, he don't bless quitters. I couldn't find another way to say it. He says, my soul has no pleasure in you who draw back. I gave you a job to do. I didn't tell you it was going to be, in fact, I guaranteed you there were going to be problems. And there's going to be stuff you're going to have to overcome. And you're going to have to learn to go through it with me. Now the just shall live by faith, but if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things unseen. If you can see it, it doesn't require any faith. If you just have a promise and a vision in your heart that God put in there, you're not going to be able to see it in the natural until the day of its manifestation. And it's going to require you to contend for it, to believe for it, to, to trust God for it, to, to, to live through the contradiction until the day the word came to pass, it tested Joseph. The word of the Lord tested Joseph. And I can find no place in the Bible where Joseph said, uh, I think God's forsaken me. But I would have, especially when the cupbearer, who was in prison, had a dream and he interpreted it for him. And the dream was he was going to be restored back to his position with Pharaoh. And Joseph said, now listen, when you get to Pharaoh, you tell him about me. Joseph could see the plan working. He could see it. He was getting close enough to see it. He said, you be sure and tell him about me. And the Bible says, two full years passed. And the cupbearer forgot about him. Isn't that the way it goes? You help somebody out of a real tough spot. Man, once the pressure's off and everything's going good, they forget about you altogether. Amen? But then Pharaoh had the dream. And there was a big stirring and consternation in the palace because it was haunting him and none of his sorcerers could interpret it for him and the cupbearer goes wait a minute there's a guy in the jail in prison I met and he can interpret dreams and that's when he called him my point is during that two years of staring out that cell window when you knew the plan of God you saw it working and you knew this had to be it and two years go by, and there's no change. You have need of endurance if you're going to manifest what God has for you in your life. Come on, somebody. But I see no place where Joseph ever doubted God. No place. And when it came to pass, 
It was awesome. Faith is the evidence of things unseen and the certainty of things hoped for. You have to be able to believe it when you can't see it. And without faith, it's impossible to please him. It says in Hebrews eleven six, for he who comes to God must believe that he is and he's a rewarder of him who diligently sought him, seeks, seeks him. This is what God is saying. I want to see how much faith you have. Do you have any faith? Whenever the opposite manifests, when it's not like you thought it was going to be, are you just going to quit? Because commitment is what he's looking for. The three-legged stool of discipleship, acts of the Holy Spirit. You have to have an encounter with the Holy Spirit. Here's three scriptures here. I'm not going to read them all, but you read them when you have time. Jesus said you've got to be born again. You have to be born again in the Spirit of God. If you haven't had a born-again spirit experience, you really need that. So you have to be born again, and then you have to commit your life to following him. In Romans chapter 8, verse 13, if you live according to the flesh, you'll die. I don't care if you've been born again or not. If you still live according to the flesh, if you refuse to, to enter in, he says, if you live according to the flesh, you'll die, but if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, then you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit, those are the ones that are sons of God. You have to learn how to be led by your Spirit, and that's a process. And then finally, there's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And one of the big confusions in the church about this is, is that, is that if you've been on an Emmaus walk, you've heard of a thing called provenient grace. That's when God's reaching out to you when you're not even looking. He's still trying to attract your attention. He's still trying to draw you into that born-again experience where you accept and receive the Spirit of God. God comes in you and, and you make him your Lord and Savior, that being saved moment that we call it now in the modern church. And he will draw you into that. But after he draws you into that, then after that, if you want to go deeper, you got to pursue him. Now, wait a minute. He'll, he'll move heaven and earth to get you into that born-again moment and get you saved. But if you go any further than that in your experiences with Jesus Christ, you have to pursue him. You have to decide, I want to become a disciple. I want the power. I want the Holy Ghost to come on me in power. I know he's in me for salvation. Now I want him to come on me. I want to learn how to operate my life spiritually and not in the flesh. I want to be enabled, empowered to do things that God has called me to do. And that takes training, commitment, and pursuit. You've got to pursue it. You can't become a colonel in the army still doing the things you did when you were a private. Can I get a witness out of somebody? If you're going to move up the ranks, you've got to decide you want to pursue that. You've got to decide that's who you're called to be. And so the baptism of the Holy Spirit has got to be the result of your pursuit and you're pursuing a deeper relationship with Jesus Christ. And I guarantee you, when it happens, you know it happens. Hallelujah. You should have seen my little Baptist bride down there in Louisiana in that big sanctuary when she got baptized in the Holy Ghost. I mean to tell you, she scattered chairs from one end of the deal to the other now. But she decided, like I decided, that I had to have that. I had to have that, that I needed that touch from God to ever be able to do what he'd called me to do. Then after you have these encounters with the Holy Spirit, see, that's not it. That's not the, that's not the end of the process. The third leg of the stool of discipleship is you have planned discipline to put on the new heart. In Ephesians 4, 22 and 24, <clears throat> he said that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitfulness of lust and be renewed in the spirit of your mind that you put on the new man which is created according to God 
in the true righteousness and holiness. You can't keep up your card game where you and your buddies go drink and, 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 and do all the things. You have to decide, I'm going to live different. Come on, somebody. You have to take that effort to put on that new man and have that transformed heart. And it's a planned discipleship process. And then there's finally the most important one we're talking about here this morning. There are the trials of this life. James 1, 2 and 4, my brethren, count it pure joy. When you fall into various trials, knowing your testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete and lack nothing. Romans 5, 3 and 5 says, and not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing the tribulation produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope. And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who has given, he has given us. These three things work together. Powerful encounters with the Holy Spirit. Work, planned, discipline, studying the word, pursuing a different kind of a life, changing your circumstance. And then trials. The problem has been attached to the promise. But whenever you quit praying amiss and say, God, remove the problem. So this is what, this is what, this is what Tony proposed here last week. It's for the, for the believer, for the disciple like Brooke, for someone who is like all in all the time in pursuing God. The problem is not circumstantial. It's always providential. God is trying to do something in you. He's trying to mold you some way. He's trying to change you some way. And so you pray amiss when you pray for the removal of the problem. What you pray for is, show me what I need to learn. God, show me what I need to learn. Show me what I need to learn. I used to be so, when I was in business, I had no fear of debt. None. None. You loan me money, I make money, and that's the way that works. You charge me any interest rates you want to charge me, I can overcome it. That was my attitude. When I started following Jesus, and he wanted to do things in me financially, he wanted to set me free financially, and he wanted me to help people get free financially, then, oh my God, I had to go through some problems. All of a sudden, my strategy didn't work for me anymore. All of a sudden, God showed me how stupid and irresponsible and how crazy I was to have no fear of debt. I'm going to tell you this right now. Debt is not a sin, but it's extremely dangerous. That's what the Bible teaches. And if you don't recognize the danger of debt, then what's going to happen to you is you're not going to be able to steward anything that God has for you because the bankers are going to get it. I just, I'm telling you this is the truth. This is the short version. We have a financial class starting next Wednesday. You come learn these principles if you want to. I didn't care as long as I could maintain the ratios. So, so much percentage of current assets against current liabilities. If I, and, I, and I want to push them. I want to push them right up there to the acceptable level because I just want to I borrow money, I buy more cattle, I make more money, and that's the way that worked. So I had to go through an incredible financial difficulty that led me to a great revelation about then I had to, the problem when I realized what I was doing was crazy and was about to get me in a lot of trouble did get me in a lot of trouble then I went well you know so what does God say about this then so what am I doing here because I got saved I'm giving I'm writing hot checks you know to the church but I'm giving I'm doing all that stuff you know I'm doing everything they said to do except learning about stewardship see stewardship is the balance for the prosperity gospel they go together 
It says in Matthew chapter 25, he gave to each one according to their ability, right? So if you want more financially, you have to learn how to steward more. And so I, I started this quest of learning what is it that I need to know, and God unlocked his whole economic system to me. I wrote a book called Financial Exodus. And in the book, I propose this. Christians are free in every area of their life except in their finances, and in that area, they're exactly like the world. They're subject to the same bondages because I was. But my pursuit then to get around the problems that I had brought on myself, my pursuit for the answer in that journey that I took brought me to a deep revelation that I don't think, I don't think many Christians have. I could not have regained the revelation without the problem. The problem of financial freedom had, the, the promise of financial freedom had a problem attached to it. What was that? You're going to have to change your attitude about debt. So what is he did? What did he do? He scared the bejeans out of me. Now I'm about halfway afraid of debt. This church has a huge net worth. You know why? Because we have very little debt and, and a lot of assets. We we, we made it a policy here that we're paying off debt before we take on new debt. The reason we, the reason we had to wait so long to get the fellowship hall paid, we want to get everything else paid for before we ever started. Didn't it? And you can say, well, you know, that's a little extreme. But let me tell you something. It really worked good during the COVID time. We didn't have no big debt service. to have, We had to come on, somebody. You can't live like the world and expect God to bail you out every time. You have to put on the new man. You've got to put on the new man financially. I don't know why. Maybe there's somebody who needs help. This is not in the notes. But I want to tell you, you live like the world in your finances, you're going to be subject to the same bondage that they are. And God wants to pour blessing into you. He wants to pour financial blessing into you, but he's waiting for you to learn how his system works. How he does it. You don't ever learn that if you don't have the problem. The problem leads to revelation that leads to transformation that leads to the manifestation of the promise. The problem leads to revelation that leads to transformation that leads to the manifestation of the promise. Quit worrying. Quit praying for the problem to go away. Learn what you need to learn from it. I could preach this at any big mega church in America and empty out the sanctuary before the service is over. Hallelujah. So the obstacle becomes the path, the Red Sea principle. The way out with God is never around. It's never, it's always through. The way out with God is always through. It's never around. Deuteronomy chapter 28, 113 says, and the Lord will make you head and not the tail. You shall be above only and not beneath. If you heed the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today, and are careful to observe them. God will not allow you to go around the problem. You have to go through the problem and overcome the problem. He took Israel after they left Pharaoh. After they had the Passover and all the firstborn of Egypt died, and Pharaoh said, get your stuff and get out of here. So what does God do? He encamps them at the place of their greatest weakness. He encamps them at a place called Migdal, which is it's a peninsula that goes out into the Red Sea. If you're, a, if, you're a, if you're a war strategist, a military strategist, you would say, don't ever camp your army there. Don't ever put your people there. They're the most vulnerable because all you have to do is attack them from one direction, and there's no place they can go. You can wipe them out. 
In fact, when Pharaoh, go back and read about it in the book of Exodus, when Pharaoh heard that they were camped at Migdal, he oh, their God is forsaken. Huh. It's on now. Get the chariots. Their God has forsaken them because he put them in the most vulnerable place. And he took off, and you can see that dust coming over the horizon when the Egyptian army starts closing in on Moses, and the people start screaming, the women start crying, the kids start crying. In Exodus 14, 15, and the, the, God goes to Mo, the, uh, Moses goes to the Lord and says, what do we do? And the Lord said to him, why are you crying out to me? I love this passage. Why are you crying out to me? Tell the children of Israel to go forward. Forward where? Go lift up your rod, which types the, the authority of God. He says, go lift up your rod and stretch it out over the sea and divide it, and the children of Israel shall go on to dry ground through the midst of the sea. So Moses goes out, takes his rod, his staff, which is the type and shadow of God's authority, and he speaks to the problem, and he tells the problem to be divided. And you know the rest of the story. Here's the, here's the, here's the deep, hidden life message. This is a life message in this passage. And if you don't get it, you'll never, you'll never be victorious over half the stuff. Here's the message. The obstacle becomes the path. If he put an obstacle in front of you, don't woe is me. Begin to speak to it. Don't try to go around it. Don't try to go under it. You're going to go through it. You don't conquer your issues by not facing them. When you win is when you turn and you face your enemy and you say, all right, it's on. In the name of Jesus, you're an obstacle. And here's the thing. If God's called you to start a business or do something crazy, man, i got a whole section of business people here, two of them. If God's called you to do something, immediately there's going to be an obstacle and God is going to say, let's just say, let's just say that, that, that you can't get insurance. You say you're going into a trucking business and you can't get insurance. You can't afford the insurance. And so you can't be in the trucking business without insurance. And you go, well, you know, I just want them to remove that requirement that you've got to have insurance. No, that's not the way it works. What you need to do is face that obstacle and go, I need to figure out a way that I can comply with the insurance policy and keep my trucks going. I'm not going to quit on my vision. I'm not quitting on my dream. I need to know how I can do this. And then you go out and you talk to people and they tell you there's ways around it there's ways to there way there's ways there's ways you can make it work you face your obstacles because they become the path it's the red sea principle if you quit praying for god to remove the problem and figure out what do i need to learn what do i need to learn here what are you trying to show me god i don't know whether this has helped anybody or not but I think, that, I think that Tony touched on something that in this time of, of increase that we're entering into where God wants us to flourish in every area, I think the mistake we've all been making is, is that with the way of Christ is without any issues or without any problems. He's got to let you face this stuff so you can do the things you need to do to overcome and become stronger. Amen.